Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 155. On today's show, we talk about a wooden Roman figure found in the UK, ancient Arabian highways, and the Cape Cod National Seashore. Let's dig a little deeper. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Hello. So, we missed an episode last week. Those of you that didn't see the show notes were probably like, why was... I introducing Rachel onto the show and highlighting her in the icon because we played an episode from a while ago. Was that like our first episode together, (laughs) like officially? (laughs) It wasn't the first one, but it was pretty close. Oh, okay. I hadn't hadn't changed our icon to to take uh, April off of there and put you on. Mm -hmm. And we had to do that because, man, I got sick like the week before Christmas and... I've had a, a persistent cough and stuff. It's, yeah. I'm kind of on the upswing now. Definitely. Yeah. But then you got sick like last week. Yeah. Right about, and we tried to say, let's record today. Let's record today. Let's record today. But my and, voice just like wasn't there. Yeah. I couldn't. I just couldn't. Yeah. About all she could do was sing Smelly Cat. And, uh, <laughs> you know it was, like I couldn't even do that. Like my voice was so yeah. gone. I feel like there's a pretty good chance that it was a breakthrough COVID case because I am vaccinated and everything and boosted. And boosted but. I don't know. I didn't get tested because the tests are so hard to get your hands on now and it's easier to just assume you have it and stay quarantined, which is what we did. I know. We're in an RV. We were at an event, but after you got sick, we stopped going to things. Yeah. And just stayed basically inside. isolated. So, yep. I mean, you should get tested if you're going to, if you think you're going to have to be around people. Yeah. You know? But also, you're still sick. Like, yeah. you don't want to give people the flu. Even if you don't have COVID. Yeah. So that was my thought. I was like, well, it doesn't really matter if I have COVID or not. I'm not that sick. I don't need to be worried right now. I just need to stay away from other people. So that was the approach I took. So, and yeah. it was fine. And now I'm totally better. You know who didn't get tested? <laughs> who? This old Roman. And now he's petrified piece of wood. Right. Okay. That's one way to introduce the story. <laughs> Go so, on. So we're going to talk about some news stories. And this first one, as I mentioned, <laughs> is actually next week, we're also going to have a story from the HS2 dig, they call it, in mm-hmm. the UK. Mm-hmm. Now, HS2 is a rail route that I want to take. I know. I love riding in trains. Yes. And it's going to go from London to Birmingham. I mean, that is like from the... Almost south to the almost north of the UK. Yeah, it's like 150 miles long. And obviously when you have a rail that is that long, there's a lot of work that has to go in ahead of time before they can even start laying the rail, whatever they need for the railway. Now, my question is, this is England. Like, everybody knows they have trains all over the place. Do they not have a route to Birmingham? Or is this a direct, like, high-speed rail? That's probably what the HS stands for. Oh, I bet it is. It probably is a high-speed, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I had to basically say that out loud to realize what the hell I was talking about. Yeah. That's probably exactly what it is. It's probably, probably very few, if not, no, I wouldn't imagine no stops. They probably stop once or twice, but yeah. it's probably an express train mm-hmm. straight to Birmingham. But anyway, I'm guessing on that. The yeah. point is, this is a CRM project. The yep. article that we're linking to is from The Guardian, and it is called Exquisite, in quotes, Roman figure found on HS2 dig in Buckinghamshire. Now, you can click in through here and... There is an HS2 website because they have found, again, lots of stuff. And we're going to be talking about a Roman market town that they found next week, which is mm-hmm. still pretty cool. So, But lots of things are coming out of this project. They've been digging, I think, since 2018 or 19 mm-hmm. when the project kicked off. And now they're, you know, pu- pushing right through it. So this this project actually has employed, uh, I saw in one other article, like something like over a thousand archaeologists at some point in time. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah. And I love that they have a website dedicated to the things that they're finding. Yeah, because people want to know. Yeah, people totally want to know. And like, there's no reason for archaeology to be shrouded in mystery. That's one of the things that kind of annoys me about CRM in this country is that it's always such a big secret. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of politics going on in the background sometimes, like with the Native American tribes and various different places and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I would never want to like say that it it shouldn't be a secret if it's something that is important to whatever tribes are involved. Right. However, it is really cool for people to know about the prehistory of the area that they live in. And and people generally do want to know. So I love this website. You guys should definitely go check it out. We'll make sure and link to it. And there's just a whole bunch of different really cool things that they found. And there's some pictures you can check out too. And the UK doesn't have to worry about tribes or anything like that because they kicked the Romans out a long time ago. <laughs> so, you know, the, the the Roman descendants in Italy are maybe, I don't know if they're concerned about this or not, but <laughs> the UK is definitely it's not. definitely a different relationship yeah. between the people in their prehistory in Europe than it is right. um, in this country. Right. So. All right. So as I said, this is, well, I don't know if I said this, but this is the biggest ever UK archaeological dig spanning the whole thing, mm-hmm. which I was like, Mm, that's cute. We've been on pipelines that were like 1,500 miles long. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh, but we have a lot more land here in the United we States. We do indeed. So, yeah. The thing that they found in this particular article that they're talking about was found in a waterlogged ditch in Buckinghamshire. Mm-hmm. And I love all the shires. First <laughs> off. Is that like counties there? Is that how that works? Or I think Shire is more of a town. Oh. But that's weird. Okay. Actually, I read one, and I think it's the one from next week. It's in North Southamptonshire. I'm like, come on. <laughs> but anyway. There's a lot of directions and yes. shires in the, that sentence. But that's right. I love it. That's awesome. The figure they found is 67 centimeters tall, which is a little over two feet. And that's a figure carved from a single piece of wood. The preservation on it is, they're quoted as saying it's incredible, according to the archaeologist on site. And that's because the lack of oxygen in the ground where it was at helped preserve the rotting over many centuries. There's a lot of clay and stuff in England. Mm-hmm. So it holds on to moisture and uh, and and prevents oxygen from getting in, basically. So that helps yeah. to preserve things. And I imagine it being found in a waterlogged area means that it was even wetter than it normally is, which yeah. is what helped preserve it so well. You don't see that very often. It, it falls wood would fall into that like missing majority mm-hmm. category that we've talked about before because that kind of stuff just doesn't survive from a preservation perspective right. through time. So it's really cool that they found this. Yeah, I don't think they talk in this article about when they found it and took it out of the ground what they had to do to it because things that are 
usually very waterlogged is once they're exposed to air, mm-hmm. they start to go fast. They can. Like it'll start yeah. to dry out and fall apart. Yep. It's like shipwrecks and stuff. They have to do special things yep. to the wood as they bring it up to basically keep it from just falling apart within within days or weeks. Yeah, totally. You have to like, it's like a slow drying out process, I mm-hmm. think. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Jim Williams, the senior science advisor for Historic England, says it's a, quote, truly remarkable find, which brings us face to face with our past. It is always neat to find something that's got a carving or a or a bust or something like that that's a representation of a person back then. Mm-hmm. Although you always got to wonder, because if we were way into the future and we found, you know, we were, you know, gone completely and some other alien species came in and was like, what do these people look like? And the first thing they saw were Picasso paintings. They'd be like, um, <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. These guys were truly weird looking. But That's true. I always wonder if the person who did the thing in the past and we're always like, oh, look, here's a representation of a person. Is that how how embellished or, or yeah. curated is that? Like when we were at the archaeology museum in in Italy, that which is a lot of Pompeii stuff. Yeah, and you see the the life size greater than life size, you know, marble statues and things like that of people, and they're just like their their polished, chiseled faces. It's like the first century version of Photoshop, right? Right. Like these oh, people totally. were made to look pretty. Yeah, they're made. To I be doubt beautiful. they all were so beautiful. Right. Yeah. Well, you you do have to wonder that, but like with an artist, I feel like they're always going to be trying their best to make whatever they're making yeah. look beautiful. So sure, people might not have been that beautiful, but I'm okay with it mm-hmm. being a... Stylized representation. Yeah, or like yeah. a perfect representation of oh, what yeah, humans yeah. can look yeah. like. The things like this from this period rarely survive. It's just organic objects. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be in really the right conditions for that to happen. This particular figure was carved wearing what looks like a knee-length tunic that seems to be gathered at the waist. Although, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking at the picture of it. I'm like, how can you really tell that? <laughs> well, gathered I can see at the it. Waist. You can see like a like a line right around the waist, though. Yeah. And just from my like clothing making knowledge, mm-hmm. you would get a line in like a blousing like that where the top kind of blouses over the bottom. Right. You get that by having fabric gathered there Mm -hmm. now whether it's two separate pieces or it's a belt that's doing that or whatever like there's a bunch of different ways you can make that happen but i think that's how they're interpreting that like line across the waist that sort of blouses a little bit yeah he looks like he's got a little bit of a belly too (laughs) when you look at him in a cross section i'm like listen if you're gonna sculpt me (laughs) like trim me down like trim me down right (laughs) make me look a little bit better come on maybe those knees should be a little less knobby if you're trying to make like a really yeah. Perfect looking yeah. human. Exactly. Of course, this is wood. So what it looked like originally is not going to be necessarily what it looks like sure. now. Sure. So, yeah. And his, on his head, though, it, it, I like how they say he may be wearing a hat or just have styled hair. And I'm just like, I want a hat that looks like styled <laughs> hair. So I don't have to do it. I get I think that, that I style my hair. <laughs> well, not right now. That's no, for sure. No, no. <laughs> no, I think that... It's just hard to tell because, I mean, the preservation is great because we even have it at all, but it still is really hard to to tell specifically what you're looking at. Um, you know it's a human and you know it's a person and they're wearing clothes yeah. and they have a head, but like what is specifically happening with the hair or hat or whatever is hard to tell. Yeah. His legs, however, are fairly well defined, mm-hmm. as short as they are, since this guy's only two feet tall. 
And I'm wondering like what this thing was used for, but uh, the arms below the elbows have degraded. And I'm, I mean, I would wonder, were they there to begin with? Like, what kind of thing is this? Did they, did they break off somehow? Why would those pieces go away? Um, Did they break off? And that's why this was maybe discarded and found where it was. This is, it is super weird. Like why have a figure, like if it were fully, fully complete all the way down to the feet, I'm guessing it would be like two and a half ish, Mm -hmm. maybe to three feet at the most tall. Right. So that's like a half size human. Yeah. So why? Like, why have it be that, that size, you know? That's a good question. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you'll never know the answer to, though, unfortunately. Right. All right. Well, that's about all we know about this. Here's some cool information in this article about the HS2 project. It has unearthed, via this project, at least 60 separate sites. Now, that that was as of January 13th, writing of this article. Uh, but at least 60 separate sites by more than, as I said before, a thousand archaeologists mm-hmm. uh, since 2018 when it started. They've found, I mean, history going back 10,000 years, well yep. before the Romans, yep. uh, Anglo-Saxons, before everybody, mm-hmm. the prehistory of the UK, and they've found all kinds of stuff. This project is estimated at uh, 45 billion British pounds, which is about 61 and a half billion US dollars. That's just for the archaeology part of it? Or is it like uh, the whole project? I think that's the whole project. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, that's the whole still project. like so much though. Right. It's really cool too because they have found so many different representations of different time periods. Like they found medieval churches and then they've also found, you know, 4,000 year old burial grounds and stuff like that. So the just the wide range of different time periods that are represented. And of course it makes sense. They're traversing the entire country. So like yeah. people were in different parts of the country of, of England at different times. So it just makes sense that they would be finding wildly different things from wildly different time periods, but yeah. super cool. Speaking of time period, we didn't really mention the time period that it's in, and that's partly because they haven't really done a lot of dating yet. They're kind of basing the time period off some of the other artifacts. Oh, the now. carved figure. The carved figure itself, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah. So, they're, so they're basing some of the time frame on this site on what other things they have found, but mm-hmm. conveniently for them, so they don't have to actually damage this, a piece was broken off that they can attribute to this uh, figure, and that will undergo uh, analysis, well, that will undergo radiocarbon dating mm-hmm. uh, at some point, and then the entire figure will have uh, analysis and conservation at York Archaeology, which I believe York Archaeology is akin to like a CRM firm. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on okay. that. But uh, I yeah. wonder if they can do some kind of dating with the like tree ring stuff, too. I mean, it is a piece of wood, right? They so... have to cross-section it, though. I don't oh, think they, want to they don't want to do that. Yeah, because yeah, when you do tree ring dating, there's a even a small. I've seen small, small bores where you basically bore into the tree, uh-huh. or you bore into the piece of wood that you're trying to look for. But you have to hope, and maybe they can see this. I can't really tell by looking at this, but you'd have to really get a cross section of all the rings uh-huh. in, a, in a way that you can actually measure them. Yeah, and then you match probably that up with a local tree ring database. Yeah, you'd probably need something that tells you you're at the outer edge. Yeah. of it and that might be kind of hard to tell now that I'm looking at these pictures I'm like how would you even know what was the edge of the tree that they used and what was the middle yeah that would be hard mm-hmm. yeah and what do we call the science of tree ring dating dendrochronology dendrochronology there you go yeah. 
So that's your $2 word for the day. <laughs> Use that in Scrabble. <laughs> right. All right. Well, that's about it for this one. When we come back, we are going to take a, we're going to go from our train. We're going to get off in London and we're going to take a super highway all the way to Arabia <laughs> and end up at an oasis. Back in a minute. <laughs> Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code T-A-S. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome back to episode 155 of the Archaeology Show. And as mentioned, we are down in Arabia. <laughs> well, well, we aren't. <laughs> but the story we're talking about is. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So this comes from fizz.org. And it, the article is titled, Archaeologists Discover Ancient Highways in Arabia. Archaeologists love ancient highways. Mm-hmm. Now, first off, when you, when you click into this, you're going to see a picture. And it says, keyhole-shaped tombs flanking a funerary avenue in the Al-Hait Oasis. Okay. Now, I, I know they just have to describe these shapes as keyhole-shaped. Yeah. But I highly doubt they had keyholes or keys. But they may have. They might have, but yeah. they didn't necessarily have to look like this. It's just, it it gives a a shape to it, mm-hmm. a description that modern people, us people, can understand. Right. Because they do kind of look like keyholes. Or Although, exclamation points. Or exclamation points. <laughs> I like exclamation point better. Let's call it that. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, these were discovered, The well, these these highways, I guess, were discovered by and researched by archaeologists from the University of Western Australia. And these were people who lived in Northwest Arabia, basically, in the early to the Middle Bronze Age. And they built these funerary avenues. Yeah. Okay. Now, these are long distance corridors linking oases and pastures and things like that. So they, mm-hmm. they had just common pathways that they traveled getting from one place to another. But they're also associated with these burial monuments. So are they calling them funerary avenues because there are burials all along the roads, essentially? No, I think the burials, from my reading of the article, are just at the like oases. Oh, like they're associated okay. with these oases. I'm like, where are you going to bury your dead where you get your water? But I don't know. Oh, well, they didn't know any better. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think they thought about the fact that like 
you know, body juices were decomposing into their mm. water source it's potentially. True. <laughs> true. Now, one thing the article does say, though, is that, you know, these oases and pastures and, and, and highways, for lack of a better way to say this, are bordered by thousands of elaborate burial monuments. So I'm not exactly sure. That's, yeah. When I yeah. read that, I interpreted it as they're all along the roads. Yeah. Which yeah. would be so interesting to me because it's like, well, first of all, okay, you've got a relation that you need to bury. Mm-hmm. How do you choose where on the road said person gets buried? Yeah. If it's just along a road or like, right. how does that work? And what is the hierarchy? And it's very interesting to me to think that that roadways were the burial area of choice. And yeah, why? <laughs> I, I, I think it just goes down to access. Like Maybe, you're, you yeah. live in the desert, basically. Yeah. And you're not going to take some circuitous route for no reason to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you're just like all the things you do are going to happen in, in certain areas. Right. You know, including burying your dead. So I don't know. Well, uh, this does remind me of the um, Chacoan Road Network, oh, which yeah. has been discussed pretty extensively. In fact, if you go to arcpodnet.com forward slash sitebites, one of the hosts of the Life and Ruins podcast, Carlton Gover, future Dr. Carlton Gover, <laughs> he did a short series on Chaco Canyon in New Mexico. Yeah. And one of the things they talked about there was the Chacoan Road Network, which was basically a series of roads that head out from Chaco Canyon or to Chaco Canyon from outlying communities. Yeah, kind of like spokes yeah. on a wheel, basically. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that just reminded me of that because mm-hmm. they, they really use that stuff. Kind of a similar environment, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, the desert. Yeah. Yeah. So. So back to the funerary keyholes or exclamation points because <laughs> I'm looking at the picture and to kind of definitely go take a look at the article and look at the images but I'll do my best to describe it here it's basically a elongated triangle mm-hmm. probably what kind of triangle is that like a isosceles I guess is that yeah. right? where it's it's longer equal two angles are equal yeah the two at the bottom yeah. are equal and then the one at the top is like a skinnier yeah. angle wow I'm real bad with math it's yeah. been a long time since I took a math class indeed anyway and then there's like a circle up at the top by the skinnier part of the triangle and I, I'm guessing made out of rocks it is what it looks like it's a uh, rock created mm-hmm. you know moved rocks into place and then but I'm like where's the burial part of it is it inside the triangle part is it in the circle part well, where I, where is that I feel like it's inside the circle part only uh-huh. because there are some circles without triangles off to the left side of that image. There are, that's true. And yeah. they have something that looks like a little nipple in the in yeah. the circle. Like maybe that's where the burial part went. Yep. I mean, I'd want to be buried in the nipple. So <laughs> anyway. It's, wow. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's it's interesting. Yeah, we don't we don't really have a lot of information related to this and it doesn't really link to anything either. So Yeah, I wonder if they have plans on doing more excavation of the actual burials themselves or they may maybe have. not maybe not because it depends on what the local people yeah. feel about disturbing you know their ancestors or whatever so right you know one interesting thing too is that how old this is yeah right? because these are populations living in this area built these about 4,500 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long time. That is a long time ago. Yeah, and it's telling archaeologists that they were a little more socially and economically connected to one one another than previously thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense, though, because that is an area where you do see the development of human humans and people as groups and societies mm-hmm. sooner or earlier than in other parts of the world. So it makes sense that that kind of interaction would be happening very early in that yeah. area of the of the world. 
Yeah, and I just said a few minutes ago that I didn't know if they'd published, but then I see my own note here that says that <laughs> it was published in the journal The Holocene ah. and by Dr. Matthew Dalton. Yep. He actually says that uh, funerary avenues were the major highway networks of their day, mm-hmm. and I guess they were. Yep. So how they found this stuff is they used satellite imagery and helicopter-backed aerial photography. Oh, so that's not, cool. Yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't just use drones, probably because of the long-distance nature of it. Yeah. Because uh, helicopters are really expensive. Yes. So, But... That's still pretty cool. Could be windy too. I mean, yeah. deserts can be so like way too windy yeah. for drones sometimes. Yeah, that's true. They used ground survey and excavation for ground truthing the aerial finds. Mm-hmm. So just going down to see, you know, if what they found was was actually real. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. The highest concentrations of monuments were found near permanent water sources. Right. So I guess that does mean that probably they wanted to bury their dead near the water sources and maybe they branched out from there as space sort of became mm-hmm. a premium probably. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, and also, like, I don't know a whole lot about how geographically speaking or geologically speaking, oases work, mm-hmm. but aren't they not necessarily permanent? Like, they can dry up and then maybe a well, new one will pop up over here and they're just sort of. I mean, less like permanent. any. Yeah, like any water source, it's it's a, it's a basically a spring, uh-huh. right? And that spring can dry up if the water table, for whatever reason, gets too low yeah. or, or whatever. So. It makes me wonder if that's how we end up with this large network of roads, is yeah. they were going, you know, one source would dry up and then another one would appear and they were kind of changing. But I don't know mm-hmm. if, if they would change that quickly, quickly enough for people to adapt and, and create new roads or yeah. whatever. So I don't know. The directions that the avenues are going is one of the ways they could tell that these were basically used to travel between the major oases out there. Mm-hmm. They can just see. Because I, I think they, they're they probably indistinct in some cases, you know, because they haven't been used in a long time. Right. So... But when you look at the direction of one and then you link it up with the direction coming from another oasis, you mm-hmm. can tell that it's going there. Yeah. And then some of the lesser avenues, they fade into the landscape, suggesting they were just used to herd animals to nearby pastures during during rain periods. Oh, so, OK. Yeah. That's cool. So they were roads that were used for all kinds of different purposes and for accessing all different parts of their life. But yeah. they also happen to you know bury people along well, them as well. Yeah, and these roads, they're calling them roads, but really they were just probably well-worn pathways that they took all the time. It's like any sort of game trail. I mean, I'm not equating them to animals, but I kind of am because any animal or person or whatever is going to take the same path everywhere. You know, we've driven a lot of roads in Nevada and... To be honest, most of these roads are just dead straight because why would you make corners if you don't have yeah, to? Yeah, there's no need to. Yeah. yeah. You're on a gravel road, you're headed to a location, and there's no reason for it to turn unless it's got to go around something. I know. The longest road I've ever driven is Highway 50 oh in Nevada. And like when you come out of Fallon, come out yeah. of the like mountains in between Fallon and then Austin, mm-hmm. it's just like the longest stretch of road you've ever seen in your life. You can literally see it for hundreds of miles. Yeah, so. you're excited to go through mountain ranges because you get some corners and some hills. Yeah. And then you come out and it's another 40 mile valley. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which is beautiful in its own way, obviously. Yeah. I love the desert. But Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we have to say about this one. And we're going to go from here to something a little bit different. It's not really an archaeological project, but it's uh, a historian that's... Uh, diving deep into the history of Cape Cod. I just thought it was interesting. Back in a minute. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our tea Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. 
Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome back to the Archaeologist Show, episode 155. This is our final article we'll discuss today, and it's from the Cape Cod Times, and it's entitled, Dig This, Historian Goes Deep into the Archaeology of Cape Cod. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Talk about oh, clickbait headlines. Yeah. That's all right, though. <laughs> exactly. All right, so Cape Cod in the United States is lined with beaches and sand dunes, as capes on the eastern side of the United States are. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. Where is Cape Cod? Is that like Massachusetts? Um, yes. Yeah. I believe so. Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, it is Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, you're from Good. the East Coast, so you have no excuse, actually. <laughs> what? Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm from Seattle, so. We were probably like like 20 minutes from here that time that we stayed on the border of. Oh, yeah. yeah what was it? We New Hampshire close. and Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. Probably we've been, not that far. We've been pretty close to there. Yeah. yeah. We have no excuse for our lack of geography knowledge. Sorry. I know. I know. One of the cool things about this area, though, is first off, there's been you know people there for well over 10,000 years. Yeah, definitely. And lots of different activity. Yeah. Uh, but after every storm, because it's so sandy out there, and you get this all up and down the East Coast, but after every storm and really kind of tidal action, you have a chance of something else being revealed from the past mm-hmm. and, and just coming out of the sand. Now, storms have an ability to cover stuff up, too. Yes. And basically turn things around. Yeah. So... And it's it's all kinds of things. It could be things that were deposited in the ocean, like a shipwreck that washed up on shore or something like that. But it can also be the remnants of a previous society. You know, it could be whole buildings mm-hmm. that have been covered up, yeah. both historic and prehistoric. When you have a geological area that changes so quickly and easily and rapidly and didn't have modern techniques to stop it from eroding because i'm sure they put a lot of effort into keeping the beach as stable as possible now but 100 years ago or 500 years ago nobody was trying to stabilize the beach you you couldn't they didn't have the ability to so like you just have a lot of occupation that is gone but it can be uncovered sometimes yeah indeed the historian in question here is Bill Burke. He is the Cape Cod National Seashore Historian, and he spent 30 years studying this area. That's a pretty cool job. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Hey, Bill Burke, if you're listening, we'd love to have you come on and talk about everything <laughs> that you do or if somebody knows him. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that he talks about in this article or that the that they, I guess, interview him for is the Carnes site. It's called C-A-R-N-S, and that's at a place called Coast Guard Beach in Eastham, East, East Ham. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it's Eastham. And that's an example of some of the fleeting nature of the finds in Cape Cod. Uh, it was first seen in November of 1990 when a ranger, a park ranger, or I guess a, a national seashore ranger, mm-hmm. noticed something spilling out from the sand. And they looked at it and said, hey, this is a active and ongoing threat from erosion. Uh, there's storms on the way. It was November after all. Um, so a full-scale data recovery was started pretty quickly. And they also believed that the site contained cultural components of, of pretty great antiquity. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. 
now they didn't really talk more about that because this article is is really highlighting a talk that's happening later in January 2022. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to stream that or, you know, what's going to happen. It might just be a local talk. Not really sure about that. But uh, some of the things that Burke was saying in the article is Native American artifacts that date from the end of the early woodland period, so about 2,100 years ago, to the middle woodland period, mm-hmm. about 1,100 years ago, have been found in that area. And I think he is kind of referring to that Karn site, but either way, just the area in general. Mm-hmm. So lots of cool stuff. He also says that in total, in the in the collection that they have at the National Seashore, I don't know if they, have, they must have a museum or something like that. They do. It's the Salt, well, it's a, the Visitor Center, the Salt oh, yeah, Pond Visitor yeah. Center. They have some of it on display there anyway. Well, they've got 350 to 400,000 artifacts mm-hmm. in their collection. Obviously, not all those are on display at any one time, but that's, yeah. that's huge. And it does seem like they run a huge range of time periods, like you said, from the early woodland all the way up to historic. Like some of the pictures that they're showing in the article are like clearly historic ceramic pieces and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I love that. I love that, you know, if you just pay attention to what the sands and the beach and the ocean can uncover, then you can, you know, you can find out little pieces and little slices of the history of an area. Yeah, if you happen to be listening to this in real time, then check out the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History's website. It's in actually, well, it says Brewster. That is where Paul Zimmerman lives. It is. It's one of his houses, yeah. Um, Anyway, it's at that natural history, it's at that museum in Brewster, and it's at 7 p.m. on January 26th, 2022. Uh So if you happen to be near there, then go check it out. Otherwise, I don't know, like I said, if they're going to be streaming it or not. So yeah, this is, we're recording this just a few days before this happens. So you'd have to catch this podcast like like within a couple days of it coming out. But it sounds like it would be a really, really cool talk to experience. And I'm sure they'll bring examples of artifacts and stuff for people to see too. It'd be mm-hmm. really, really neat to yeah. see the history of the area as exposed by the ocean sands and storms and the beaches and stuff. Yeah, I don't know if this is the Brewster that Paul lives in because he's be. in New York and I'm pretty sure this one's in Massachusetts unless yeah. it's really close by. So All that is very close up there though, so who knows? It is. Yeah, for those of us that spend a lot of time on the West Coast. The East Coast seems like a postage stamp and you can just get to anywhere in five minutes. <laughs> I know, so, right? like, traffic. Like we went for a drive one afternoon when we were up there and we were in like four different states. Yeah, you know, <laughs> That's how it is. Yep. Felt like being in the UK. <laughs> All right. So just some notes here from your local archaeologists. If you do happen to be walking on a seashore or a beach or anywhere really and you see something, try to... I mean, I, I guess it depends on what it is, but if it looks like something big, try to resist the urge to like dig it up and yeah. pull it out of the ground. Yeah, like if like if some ship burial ship wreck or something like that is exposing itself, really go find a ranger and, and let them know about it. Yeah. Uh, because context is everything with this stuff. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, if it's something small and ephemeral, I probably would pick it up yeah. and then I'd bring it to the visitor center because the sea is just going to take it away anyway. Yeah, it will. But just make sure and like drop a point on it with your yeah, phone. Exactly. You know, modern smartphones all have the ability to like do GPS points. Go to so. Google Maps, go to Apple Maps, drop a pin just by mm-hmm. holding down your finger on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, and take the point. That way you know where you got it from. And, you know, because finding one small little artifact is sometimes an indication that there's a lot more going on there. Mm-hmm. And it would take you know, some work and some knowledgeable archaeologists to figure out if there is something bigger there and whether or not it's worth excavating. So, but 
you need to have the location information yeah and you need to tell somebody about it so for sure sounds like this national seashore is very interested in preserving whatever history is exposed on their beaches so and i'm sure that any of any of our national seashores would be the same way indeed all right well with that we are done with this episode so we're gonna have three more articles for you next week so come back and hear about ancient board games a roman market (laughs) in the uk another hs2 project and mas edificios in machu picchu oh good job (laughs) somebody's learning spanish i said edificios but that's probably not right edificios edificios Edificios? No, edificios. edificios. Oh my God. And Machu Picchu. You are a lost cause in your terrible, terrible accent. With that, we're out. <laughs>Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at arcpodnet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.